Welcome to the Blind Jesus Freak Podcast, a podcast that focuses on living a Christ-centered life with a visual impairment. Even if you don't have a visual impairment, stick around. You might just be blessed by how the blind look at God's Word. Yeah, the pun is totally intended. And now, here's your host, the Blind Jesus Freak himself, Mike Calvo. Man, 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 I'm back again, and I'm hoping that this week I'm not going to sound stuffy. Welcome to the Blind Jesus Freak podcast. This is the Blind Jesus Freak himself, but hey, I'm not alone. I'm with Lisa Salinger. Hi, Lisa. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you arguing with food this week again? Oh, no. Thank God. It won. That's <laughs> never a good thing to do. No, You know, you can't fight with food, Lisa. Little it's neighbor always girls, going to win. Yes, little neighbor girls bearing unknowingly tainted hoagies for sale are not good things. So Never trust the little children coming to your door exactly. to knock to sell hoagies. <laughs> anyway, um, boy, you didn't know you signed up for Mystery Theater. <laughs> this is the Mystery Theater podcast. So how was your week besides the uh, the adventure with the hoagie? It was good. Otherwise, just kind of ordinary, except that we really are finally getting spring. It's wonderful. I mean, we've had some nights that are still uh, right around the freezing mark, but overall, we've had some nice sunny days. I don't know. I feel like the sun has been a stranger for too long. So that's, I think right now, for me, the main thing that I give thanks for. Well, here it's been raining. I'm in Orlando, of course, and it has been raining and then it was kind of cool for a couple of days. And back over in Minnesota, you know, where our parent company is, Serotech, they had snow last week, man, and it was down in the 20s and just insane, 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 insane. I do not envy our friends out in the Midwest, really, seriously. But hey, you know, we all go through trials, tribulations, and uh, it's the joy that's set before us sometimes. We just need to learn to walk through our situations and just trust that God is taking us through them. Hmm? Absolutely. It's kind of a trite saying, but sometimes things seem trite because they're so often repeated. It's, you know, if he will bring you to it, he'll bring you through it. Well, let me tell you, we find great comfort in sayings like that just because they're familiar and they do comfort us. It's one of those things that we can reach out, especially for those of us like me that don't always remember the address for all of these different scriptures that some people find so easy to just kind of roll off the tongue and just quote, oh yeah, well over here it says this and over there it says, oh man, how do they do that? I have never been able to remember passages of scripture or the addresses, if you will, of various scriptures. So little sayings like that really do kind of bless me and help me get through. And I, and I know that the scripture doesn't necessarily say these things, but hey, you know, but as I contemplate all the different trials that we go through, I think about all the the times in the scripture where we see people going through trials, Lisa, and we see that God has carried them through. And we see that it's almost like we go through a trial and God takes us through this trial a few times until we just kind of get it. Very similar to the children of Israel traveling through to the promised land, taking that 11-day trip in 40 years. 
think that uh, they'd have gotten it after a while. But that was their trial. But as I, I looked at that, I said, man, this is a great typology. Are you familiar with typologies in, in Scripture? Yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea that things point to other things, or they point to Christ and the work that even before his incarnation that he was doing among men. Right. They say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament, of course, is the Old Testament revealed. All through the scripture, we see God's plan for redemption. But even besides that, we see that sometimes just in stories, like when you look at the story of the children of Israel, you see how God has this idea or this demonstration of you know, or a typology of the faith walk. Here you've got God's chosen people, the children of Israel or the Hebrews, and they're in Egypt, right? And they're captive in Egypt. And well, what is Egypt? Well, Egypt is in typology in scripture. It is a representation of the world. You know, Egypt, of course, you know, anything went, they were, you know, into pagan worship and all kinds of other stuff. And here God takes them out with their leader, Moses, and takes them out into the desert, okay, a wilderness experience. And as they wander in the wilderness with the plan of the promised land ahead of them, you know, they're going around almost in circles as they're working out their own salvation, if you will, their own location or relocation, and finally getting to a point where they're obeying and God brings them into the promised land. And it's very similar to our walk as Christians through our own faith walk, where God will bring us. Have you ever been in a situation where you say, you know, God, I've been here before, and I wonder if I'm going to pass the test this time. Yeah, I didn't know if that was rhetorical or not, but yeah, sadly, I have. It's like, well, when you said about walking around in circles, that kind of says it. You know, I could wear a path in the ground from walking around in that same circle. And the children of Israel kept basically feeling sorry for themselves. We don't need God. We should be back in Egypt. And God used adversities to bring them back to himself, teach them things, and hopefully help them to move forward. I used to have this preacher when I became a Christian, when I was a very young Christian, we used to go to this little warehouse church. And this is back when, I mean, we were on fire for the Lord, man. It didn't matter what we had to go through. It was just like, you know, now, you know, we want to be comfortable and we've been walking with the Lord for a while. It's like, really? Go through that? And you just catch yourself being kind of complacent about certain things. But at that time, I remember we used to go to this little warehouse church with an old country preacher. And um, he wasn't that old, but he, he was about in his 40s, mid 40s, but he was older to us. We were in our 20s. And he would talk about adversity. And he talked about this very subject that we're talking about tonight, which is trials. And he told me one day, he said, you know, Mikey, as long as you look at adversity as a classroom and not a jail cell, then God can get on with you. And that has never left me. That has truly, those words were so important to me and have been such really just such a blessing to me throughout my faith walk, no matter what the challenge is, that I can sit there and say, you know, God, okay, I don't like this situation I'm going through. I really don't. And it bothers me and it angers me or it frustrates me or it saddens me or it just discourages me, whatever the situation may be. 
But God, you sent a servant early on in my faith walk that reminded me that all things you do in my life are ultimately for my good and for your good, because you're doing a good thing in me and through me. So what are you trying to teach me here? Because adversity really could become a jail cell, right? When you look at jail, you know, physical jail here on earth, some people go into jail and they, because they've, they've done something wrong and they, and, they, and they're going to quote, pay their price to society, which I think is kind of a joke sometimes when it comes to jail cells where, you know, but that's a whole different subject. But now they're in this place and they know they're going to be here for X amount of time. And, and really in a jail, there's a couple things you can do. You can sit around and really do nothing and just kind of look at your walls all day and just be nothing and and do nothing and or or just get in fights with people and get into solitary and be by yourself and do absolutely nothing with your life and just waste it. You could go in and learn more of the devious ways that got you there to begin with and increase your street cred and just learn more about how to be devious and do whatever. Or you could better yourself. You could get an education. You can go to school. You could say, you know, when I get out of here, I am not going to be the same person that I was when I got in here. And the cool thing is that if you are able to study and if you are able to better yourself, your chances of returning to that jail cell again so that you can, quote, learn your lesson again or repay again to society are much, much slimmer than if you go in there and you waste your time. And adverse situations are so much like that, where when we get into a situation and we just complain about it. I mean, if you look at the children of Israel, what did they do? They complained. And if you already establish that God has put you in a situation because he wants to grow you and he wants to refine you, and the Bible says that we are going to be refined by fire, and it doesn't mean that God's going to throw down fire from heaven, but the fire of our circumstances. And those circumstances What happens? Well, when you get a piece of gold or of silver and you want to refine it, you want to purify it, what do you do? You heat it up. Why do you heat it up? Well, in the heat, it burns off all the excess junk that has been mixed in with that metal and it purifies the metal. So you get pure gold or pure silver. So the typology that's used there is that the Christian is tried by fire. The Christian is put into the refiner's fire of God's experiences or our life experiences that God leads us through. Not only does he lead us through them, but the Bible says that he's with us through them and he's overcome them. That is such an encouragement to me that in John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Hey, I'll tell you, it's good to know that Jesus has been there And that all he's doing is he's saying, okay, I've been here through this. Now, if you'll trust me and if you'll walk through this with me and you'll allow me to teach you the lesson and you'll look at this as a classroom and not a jail cell, you'll get the good grade. You'll pass and then you'll move on to the next level. And of course, I used to have a pastor that would say, well, new levels, new devils. So until we go home in glory, we're going to constantly be growing. The Christian faith walk is not a walk of just sitting around and doing nothing. It is a walk. It's not a crawl. It's not a run. 
It is a walk. That means step by step, you know, inch by inch, little by little, we are working towards a goal. What amazes me about some of these verses in general about trials is that they're not complex sentences. They're not complex verses. And I think that that is by design. They're simple. They're comforting truths. And I think they were designed that way so that we can cling to them and we can rely on them in times of trial. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have to be these huge theologians when you look at things like Romans 12, 12, where it says, rejoice in hope. That's not very hard to swallow, right? You rejoice in hope. And what is the hope? Well, the hope we have is in Jesus. We know that even though a situation may be troublesome, even though the situation may be difficult, we rejoice or do our very best, obviously. I mean, it doesn't always mean, yeah, you know, um, I lost my job. Woo! You know, someone that I really love passed away from a disease. Woo! Yeah! You know, I lost my best friend. Oh, yeah! Glory! But it does mean to rejoice or to at least to seek joy, the joy of the Lord in hope that, you know what, it's not always going to be like this. You know, this is where we are today. And what is Jesus trying to show us through this? That he can, that he can carry us through a situation. I have often said that I don't know not only what I did, but I look back, I have this weird thing about BC, you know, before Christ, that I don't remember a lot, like in detail. So I'll look back and I'll say, but I don't know how I survived some of the situations that I did because we're in such like a delusion, you know, we have this delusion of grandeur, you know, like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. And even as a Christian, I hear Christians say, oh, you know, but I'm a child of God. You know, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, my scripture says that there's not a good one among us, which means that we're all basically inherently bad. So my first question is, well, let's flip that around and say, why does anything good happen to bad people? And when you think about it that way, then you can really rejoice in the hope and say, oh my goodness, even though I am in the natural who I am, Christ has given me a hope that in the midst of this circumstance, this is not a punishment. Because what ends up happening is I really believe that as non-believers, we don't know what's going on, but deep down inside, because of our own kind of predisposition to guilt and shame before we come to Christ, because we know there's something wrong, man. I don't know what it is, but I just feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel dirty. I don't feel right. So when bad stuff happens to us, just, well, I guess that's what I deserve. Or we get indignant. How, how dare that happen to me? You know, and if there was a God, he wouldn't do this to me. When I look at this scripture and it says to rejoice in the hope, I'm rejoicing in knowing that I'm going through this for a reason. You know, this is not just empty, and God is not out to torment me and hurt me. He loves me, for heaven's sakes. He loves me so much that he gave his life for me so that I could spend eternity with him. Now, what kind of a weird, twisted God would do that for me and then put me through hell and back just so that he could be up there giggling and say, good, I got you. That's just not the God we serve, and that would be a really demented... (laughs) It would be a pretty demented God, wouldn't it? 
But, you know, one of the things that we have to do, as it says here in Romans 12, 12, is to be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. Lisa, have you ever prayed for patience? Very rarely, to be honest. Why? (laughs) Um, Because patience is usually one of those things that comes pretty naturally to me. But that's a problem. I've had people say, I don't know how you had patience. I never would have been able to do that. And so I don't, it's not one of those ongoing struggles for me. And there are times when I have lost patience and it kind of comes as a surprise to me because it doesn't happen often. I don't think to pray for it. I try to deal in my own strength. And so usually the loss of patience is rather spectacular and humbling. Again, because I've tried to do it in my own strength. I think sometimes when God has given us a gift, we tend to think that it's our gift. We don't see it as coming from Him. And that's where the problems start. So what you're saying is you don't see patience or sometimes you don't see patience as kind of a fruit of the Spirit. You see it as something that, yeah, I got this. Sadly, yeah. Well, that's okay. There are other things where I think, oh, that's a big fault. That's a big failing. And I pray for those more. And really, it's a good reminder. Should be praying for everything. Praying without ceasing. I say that's okay because I'm on the other side (laughs) where I pray for patience because I know I don't have any. (laughs) And then what ends up happening is, you know, I frequently tell people God has a sense of humor. So God says, it's patience you want, huh? It seems that he turns up the heat, Uh you know, and on situations. And what he does is really... Instead of giving me patience, he teaches me patience. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like going to the gym and looking at the weights and say, give me muscles. And your trainer says, yeah, right. Get over there. Get your tail over there and start lifting them weights, you know? And you, you know, you just, oh, no. In fact, I was there this morning. But patience seems to be that way, you know? Yeah. But you said something that's really important, and it's right here in Romans 12, 12, Lisa. It says, be constant in prayer. So when you're going through a trial, the point here is to be constantly in prayer, to always be in communication. And it doesn't always mean on your face or on your knees. I mean, for some people, of course, (laughs) that's the best place to be. But we can't always be that way. But the scripture, of course, tells us to pray without ceasing. And here again, it reminds us to be constant in prayer. What does that look like? Well, it just means, Lord, I know I'm going through a trial right now. I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm going to trust you that you're leading me through it. And how does it most bless you? How does it most meet your purpose, my response at this very moment? What are you really trying to show me here in this particular situation? And only through prayer, which is dialogue with God and with the Spirit of God, are we going to be able to understand? And when we start looking at the word back, of course, to the typology, and we start looking at various areas of scripture, and we look at how they apply to our lives, and that's why the word of God is living and active. You know, I've heard people say, well, the Bible's just a book, man. No, it's not. The Bible is one of those interesting books that you can read a scripture today And it will say one thing to you. And then you read the same scripture tomorrow 
And based on your circumstance, based on the rhema or the revelation of that word, what how the Holy Spirit speaks that word to you. And before the podcast, Lisa and I were talking about, you know, how do you feel about, you know, rhema and how do you feel about typology and things like that? And and Lisa, you had made a point that said, you know, that sometimes people are either at one extreme or another and they're either too conservative or they're too radical in their interpretation or their revelation, depending on who you're talking to, of the scripture. And The rule of thumb that I learned from a pastor a long time ago is that scripture builds upon scripture. I'll never forget when I was a pothead back in the day, and I used to tell people, well, hey, man, God, he made every herb-bearing plant as food, you know? So, and it's in Genesis. Look right here, man. It's in the Bible. So, you know, toke up, dude. And (laughs) that is a twisted theology that's based on one scripture. The people that go around going, well, yeah, but look at all the guys that had wives and concubines, you know, so we should all just get wives and concubines. Well, when you look at the guys who had wives and concubines, the truth of the matter is very few of them, if any of them, were happy. (laughs) I have enough trouble dealing with one wife, and I'm sure she would say the same. I have enough trouble dealing with one husband. So we definitely have to look at scripture building upon scripture. And you know, a little bit ago, you were talking about being constant in prayer. And I think that's one of the enemy's simplest tricks to alienate us from our father, our source of power, our source of strength, our source of hope. For example, if you have a laptop computer and you unplug it from the wall, from the power, it'll go a little while in its own strength. The quickest way to run down its batteries are to put more and more on it, more and more trials, more and more processes, more and more things going on. And eventually it's going to give out because it's in its own strength. It's not connected to the source of power that it needs to function. And we can recognize that so clearly in our technology, but we can't recognize it or we don't recognize it in our own lives. You know, and when we were talking about typologies, it's funny because I said, you know, I feel like sometimes people draw parallels where maybe they shouldn't be. But yet, using the analogy of the children of Israel, you don't have to draw an analogy. It's there. These are people. They went through trials. God records their stories for us. So obviously, they're there for us to learn from. And I remember when I got my Braille Bible and I was, I believe, 15. It was the summer before I was going into ninth grade. And I had determined that I wanted to read it through. And I've read the Bible through every year since then. But the first time reading it through was memorable in a way that no other experience was, well, besides the fact I didn't know that there could possibly be that many begats in one book. But um, yeah, <laughs> right? that was a little bit of a shock. Did Seven you read chapters. them or did you skip oh, them? Oh, no, I read them. I read them. Now, come on, you know did me you? well enough. I think you can, I may not have understood them, but oh, yes, I read them. But the thing that really blew me away when I was reading the account in Exodus, I thought, you know, 
these people that crossed the dry land that was the Red Sea in the strength and power of God, are these really the same people, the same weak people that said, we should be back in Egypt. We miss the garlic. We miss the leeks. We miss the cucumbers. And I think it's just that they allowed themselves to be pried away from the careful guiding hand of their father. They walked away. And it's just amazing what we can do in the strength of God as opposed to in our own strength. Well, I think, though, that, you know, the first thing that we forget, because, of course, we hold the scripture in such high esteem as we should, but we forget that the scripture, besides the words of Jesus, I mean, I'm just talking about the stories here from a historical perspective. When you look at the historical teachings in the scripture, they're people just like us. And it's a very interesting thing. You know, you look at my wife was describing to me a while back a poster that talked about all the imperfect people that God used. You know, Abram was a liar. David was an adulterer. Paul was a murderer. You know, all kinds of different people that God uses. And when we look at them and we say, these are just people, these are just people, and I can relate to them. So at first, we all look at them and we say, like you said, man, you know, how could they do that? And of course, even Peter, I'd never, I mean, Peter was with Jesus. This dude walked on the water, for heaven's sakes. He saw the sick healed. He saw 5,000 fed with two loaves and five fishes. Um, you know, I mean, he just saw so much. Yet, on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, I don't know that dude. Curse, curse, curse. You know, cock-a-doodle-doo. We say, I'd never do that. But aren't we really all just as guilty as Peter, you know, where familiarity breeds contempt. I mean, how many of us don't go in and pray and pray through a situation and then turn around and the moment that we get out of our prayer closet or wherever we were praying, we totally nullify our praying by our saying because we just have that flaw in us, man, where we don't, I don't know what it is. It doesn't stick in us. So we need to really be persevering and staying with God and just lean on God's understanding. As it says in Second Corinthians twelve nine. my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> you know, at that point, it's like, God, you know, give me more faith because, man, I keep screwing it up. I keep screwing it up. And in the midst of this trial, oh, don't worry. My grace is sufficient for you. But there is so many different scriptures. I'm actually looking at a page here and I'll put a link to them in the notes because I think it's an awesome reference. 137 different scriptures for when you're going through a trial. They're encouraging. They're not commandments with a big C, but commandments kind of like, you know, what would you call them, Lisa? Just kind of words to live by, <laughs> you know, little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, it's amazing, really, reading through them. Seriously, if you just read through them one after another, you can very easily be moved to tears at the love of God because he tells us to do these things, but he promises that he'll be with us, that we won't be alone. It's kind of like, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, somebody shouts out, I see four men in the fire, and one is like the Son of God. And can you imagine? I'd love to know what they talked about. I'd love to know if they were frightened, and if Jesus said, fear not, 
or if their faith was so great that he just came and he said, well done, good and faithful servants, but you're not quite done yet. And that's important. I mean, if you're listening to us tonight and you're going through a trial and you just feel that, man, really, God, seriously, again, you know, one more time. Still? (laughs) Yeah. Know that his grace is sufficient and that God is not laughing at you. If God be for you, then who be against you? And the fact is that your trial is ultimately going to serve a bigger purpose. We forget that when we signed up for this thing, when we did the whole Jesus thing, first of all, we did it voluntarily. God did not hold a gun to your head. We gave our lives, the pitiful lives that they were, to Jesus and said, at least in my case, I mean, maybe your lives were fine and dandy, but I gave God all my hurts, habits, and hangups and said, here you go, Jesus, take this in all its mess and ruin. And you're going to give me what? You're going to give me eternal life. You're going to give me revelation. You're going to give me blessings. And you're going to, really? For what I'm getting, man, I got the better end of the deal, but shh, I won't tell you that, <laughs> you know? And we come to realize that, There is a price to pay, not a price to pay for our salvation, but we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. And the reality is that in the fact that we belong to him, if you have something precious, if you have something that you hold in great value, I don't know, a a tool, a device, a product, a picture, a family album, anything, you're going to take care of it. You know, you're going to make sure that it's in a good place. You're going to make sure, and it may not necessarily agree with where you keep it, but it doesn't have a choice in the matter anymore. It belongs to you. The same way, we belong to Christ. And when we don't understand what's going on in our lives, you know, the Lord invites us, come, let us reason together, which means through prayer, go and ask. God is never going to just stay silent 100% forever. There may be a period of time where you're going through something and people say, well, you know, God hides from us and God stays quiet. And I'm a firm believer that sometimes we're crying out so loudly in the midst of our tribulation that we miss the still small voice, not only of the Holy Spirit through just his speaking to us through our spirit, but speaking to us through our circumstances and through the kind words and gestures and things that others do that just kind of let us know, you know, I know God is there. I know God is there. And even if it may be something as small as this podcast today, this morning, this evening, this afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening, that you're sitting here and saying, you know, I am going through a tribulation right now. I am going through an adverse situation and I'm really having a lot of trouble handling it. Let me encourage you by saying that, first of all, God is never going to give you more than you can handle. He promises that. And why is that? Well, because the truth of the matter is that you're not supposed to handle it. Cast your cares upon the Lord when you just can't bear it. You know, you get to that point, I just can't bear this. Perfect. I can just see the Holy Spirit up there, you know, rubbing his hands together, going, great, fantastic, give it to me now so I can take it all away. And when you do that, when you really put your burden at the foot of the cross and leave it there, don't put it there, pray for a while, and then pick up your burden and walk away with it again. Put it there. 
air. Picture yourself taking that burden off your shoulders, setting it down at the foot of the cross, and letting the blood of Jesus just cover that burden and walking away knowing that it's been paid for, knowing that it's been taken care of. It's over with. And walking by faith. You know, your flesh, unfortunately, your body, and and sometimes even your circumstances, they're going to lie to you, man. But you know what? The Bible says that let God be true and every man a liar. And that includes ourselves. Do you know that we lie to ourselves sometimes? In the midst of our circumstances, I'm never going to make the, well, you know, that's when you need to kind of remember that let God be true and every man a liar. And guess what? I'm a redeemed man, but I'm a man just the same. And I may lie to myself right through the midst of my circumstance and say, God can't handle this. This is, God's not as big as this, but that's not true. God is bigger than any problem that we may have. And as long as we, instead of trying to handle it on our own, as Lisa was talking earlier about, I've got this, I can walk through this myself. We run to the cross, we run to the Lord, we say, I can't handle it, Jesus, I can't handle this. And we allow him to take it from us and to walk us through it. I really believe that we're going to learn the lesson. We're going to see what that adversity is. And what the class, what the life lesson, and those life lessons, by the way, y'all, we carry them with us into eternity. Because if there was no purpose in us being here, we just pray the prayer and just drop dead. But there's a purpose. And I believe sincerely that we keep those life lessons with us and we take them with us into the, the the next step of our journey outside of here. So let's start looking at these adverse situations as a classroom and not a jail cell. Jail cells just hold in criminals. And while we were all once guilty of being a criminal or an enemy of God, there's no need for us to be a member of that group anymore because we're not. You don't belong in a jail cell. I don't belong in a jail cell anymore. We've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. He says, you don't, you don't belong that way. I call you friends. You know, while once we were enemies of God and we deserve that jail cell, we don't deserve it now. Friends, friends walk through circumstances with their friends and they support them and they carry them through and they say, dude, I got you. I got you. You know, I know you're going through something. Brother, sister, I got you. I'm right here next to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit would say to us today. I got you right here next to you. I'm right here in the middle of your circumstance, right here in the middle of your fiery furnace. I'm right here. And like you, Lisa, I really wish I, I really wish I could have been kind of a, I don't want to say a fly on the wall. It would have been a pretty toasty fly, but uh, I would have loved to have heard what was stated as Jesus showed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Jesus, I could almost hear him chuckle saying, man, you guys did really good. Watch this. Watch what I'm about to do to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> you know, it would just have been a very interesting moment. Most definitely. This reminds me of a poem that I read several years back in a book by Corey Ten Boom, who, if you're not familiar... I'm not. No way. Are you serious? I'm, I'm serious. I'm sorry. Oh, my. I, I, I know. I'm a buffoon. Wow. No, you I'm should read this I'm, book. I'm, I'm uneducated. Oh, no, Go no. Ahead. You Go have ahead. to read this book. It's amazing. I will tell you 
that it is a slow start, but it's a very good book. She and her father and her sister were taken to a concentration camp for hiding Jews in their home. And Corey was the only one who made it out of that experience alive. And she, before her death, spoke in numerous countries and uh, to numerous people, including some of her prison guards. And so she's written many books, I guess, that would be considered of a devotional nature. But in one of them, and I don't know where this came from, but she mentions a poem, and it moved me enough at the time. It's just a little thing, but I memorized it. And it goes, Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these humans always rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And I kind of feel like we have to get back to that simple, obvious faith because we do have a heavenly father who cares for us. Amen. Yes, we do. And ironically, of course, the whole thing of the birds is something that uh, Jesus refers to when it talks about us worrying about stuff. Doesn't God feed the birds and they're not his children? We're kind of a mess, really. It's sad because we worry about having trials. And when we have trials, we worry that we won't ever have a time, a glimpse that's free of those trials. And then when it is, we still worry about tomorrow. I think, again, it's that whole thing of being linked to our source of power and understanding the strength and the sustaining, abiding love of God. And that is exactly what we need to do. We need to abide. Abide. And abide means rest. And that just means to, and really, you know, another word for rest is to trust and have faith in that God didn't save you. God didn't trick you just so that he can, you know, let your current circumstances get the best of you. If you're going through something, it's either so that you can learn something so that God can glorify himself in that circumstance by teaching you something, by teaching those around you something I frequently think about my friend Jim, who I work out with all the time. And Jim's wife, Christina, passed away in July of stage four cancer. And Jim and I met right when Christina was diagnosed, right after the pastor said, hey, I got this guy named Jim who uh, likes to work out at the gym and stuff. You guys might really click. And, And Jim and I have become such good friends. And I was there as Christina walked out this trial and that Jim walked out this trial and watching how with stage four cancer, as she got closer and closer to the day that she would meet Jesus, two, three days before she passed away, she was with my wife and smiling and she couldn't talk at that point, but she would squeeze my wife's hand and we'd say, Christina, you ready? And she'd smile. She'd be, yes, and watching how Jim and Christina walked out that trial and knowing Jim and watching also the pain, but how he, in the midst of the pain, he never blamed God. He asked, sure, God, why is this going through and and why is this happening? And he was open enough for those of us who loved him and who love God, be able to say, you know, Jim, you are an encouragement to us. 
and it didn't sound patronizing. It really was like, dude, I can't even imagine what it would be like to drink from the cup that you're drinking from because I love my wife. My wife is part of my very existence. If I were to lose my wife, I would just go plumb nuts. It would be like like losing, maybe even worse than losing, I don't know, one of my children. Because here's a person that I committed to spend the rest of my life with. You know, the day I expect to leave my wife is either her holding my hand on the way out of here or me holding her hand on the way out of here. And at a ripe old age, by the way, not due to a life-threatening disease or whatever. And I watched how this man and his wife truly embraced the road that was set before them. And to watch Jim recover through that today, it has impacted so many people what him and Christina went through. People still talk about what a blessing it was to see their daughters and how loving they are, how godly they are, and how this situation, this trial brought them closer to God, drew them near, and God was able to just envelop them with his love and demonstrate to the rest of us what a merciful, compassionate, understanding, and loving God we have. God didn't put cancer on Christina. Cancer is an unfortunate circumstance of a fallen world. That's what disease is, y'all. But God is merciful. God is gracious. And when we're going through the circumstances of a fallen world, we can run to Daddy and we can say, Lord, protect me, save me, keep me from this. He says, well, I'm going to walk through this with you. And I may not be able to keep you from all the pain, but know that I've been through that pain already and that I'm never going to allow you to go through more pain than you can bear. And on the other side of this trial, there's going to be rejoicing and there's going to be joy. Not joy that the world puts on, which is happiness, which is based on what happens, but joy knowing that you've completed the course, that you've yet reached another level that your heavenly father has escorted you through and that you've allowed yourself to be walked through and that you've allowed this situation, whatever it's been, to refine you, not to define you. I mean, Jim could easily be a very bitter man today. Christina was beautiful. She's got beautiful daughters she was 44 years old, man, when she passed away. They had everything. Yet God chose to use this moment as an example. And Jim said, God, if it be possible at all for you to take this cup away, please, by all means. But if not, let your will be done. Use me for your purpose, for your glory, for your good. And let me tell you, it's an amazing thing to watch that family today at how their love for one another and their love for Jesus and the memory of that wonderful woman is just such a legacy of God's greatness and God's awesomeness. So rejoice today, listener, that God is with you in the midst of your circumstance. He knows what you're going through. He's been there. And it doesn't matter. Run to Him in your private time. Run to Him and tell Him how you feel. Leave your burden at the foot of the cross and get up knowing that your burden is gone and continue to walk through it and watch and write us. Tell us all about the trial and tell us about what happened. 
how God glorified himself, not only in the midst of your trial carrying you through it, but what the testimony at the end of that trial is going to be. And I know that I know that I know, because we all serve an amazing God, that it's going to be for his glory, and that you're going to just have a great testimony to tell. Amen? Amen, absolutely. Well, Lisa, it's been a great time hanging out and just talking about adversity as a classroom and not a jail cell. Thanks for sharing with us tonight and thanks for walking through this with me. I'm sure that uh, we'll get some email at info at blindjesusfreak.com. And of course, people can visit us online at www.blindjesusfreak.com or follow us on Twitter at blindjesusfreak.com. Do you want to say anything before we go? Well, this was one of those times where I got to participate, but I really felt like I learned as we went through this. I think seeing our trials as a classroom kind of takes some of the power out of them too. The whole, you know, the whole intimidation thing, I won't get through this. And I think really the more we know who God is, it allows us to look at our trials with the perspective they deserve, not to give them more, maybe more power than they need to have. So I very much enjoyed uh, participating and we'll certainly look forward to hearing your comments as well. Absolutely. So remember, until next week, everybody's a freak about something. So be a freak about Jesus. See ya. Thank you for checking out the Blind Jesus Freak podcast with your host, Mike Calvo, a podcast that focuses on living a Christ-centered life with a visual impairment. Even if you don't have a visual impairment and you made it this far, we see you stuck around. If you learned something, we invite you to add us to your favorite podcasting software and make us a part of your regular biblical studies. You might just be blessed by how the blind look at God's word. Yes, the pun is totally intended. So stop being politically correct and let's just relate to one another as God's kids. For more information about this ministry, visit us on the web at www.blindjesusfreak.com and learn how easy it is for you to connect with us and a bunch of other Jesus freaks on your favorite social networks. Remember, everybody's a freak about something. Join us and be a freak about Jesus. After all, he's crazy about you.